If I was an investor, I would be asking, has this development been designed with an operating philosophy or strategy in mind? What is it about this building that will make people want to stay for the long term? Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to the Investment Insights podcast with Select Property. I'm Amber Fur, and I'm really excited to be here today with our own Giles Bezik, Senior Director at Select Property, since Select Property was founded in 2004. So welcome, Giles. Nice to be here as always. Look forward to seeing where the conversation will lead today. Definitely. Um, So in the time then that you've been working with Select, so since 2004, you must have seen so much change in the residential property market. What would you say have been the key drivers that have shaped the residential market as we know it today? Well, we could spend a long time talking about the last 20 years or so. I'd say that throughout that period, there's been a lot of change. And actually, when you look back, you can link a lot of those changes together. Even when we look back at things that we saw happening 10, 15, 20 years ago, you can see a trace of that now in what's happening. I actually think now is probably the most exciting period within the whole of the life of the business to, to be doing what we're doing. I think two key changes stand out for me most recently. One is a sort of a, 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 a change in the demographic or the, the, uh, the demand from the kind of people who are renting properties in city centres like Manchester. We're talking predominantly about young people. And we've talked a lot about how for that generation, renting is now a first choice. So whereas perhaps previously people who rented their property did so because that was the only way for them to afford to live where they wanted to live. Now I think people are making that as a positive choice. And I think choosing changes everything in that sense, because what that means is residential accommodation is has become much more of a a resident-led proposition and service. So I think we've seen a bit of a, a sort of a, a shift in the power dynamic, whereas it used to be landlords who had all of the power. Um, now I think it's much more of a demand-driven sector, which is a good thing because with that shift comes... Um, a much more rapid evolution of what developers are doing because they're they're having to because it's a much more competitive space and we know that young people in particular as consumers are very discerning and they have quite high expectations and in particular in the kind of locations where our buildings are which are leading locations um, they're paying a lot for their accommodation so you have to offer something that's compelling to to make sure that they feel like they're getting value for money. So that's that's been one big change, I think. And then something that's linked to that is that has forced uh, developers and operators and managers to think about residential accommodation as much more of a of a consumer product and service. So we're starting to see a lot more branded uh, residential operational styles out there now and you can see elements of what's happening in residential accommodation that have come from other sectors like the hotel sector people are familiar with staying in a four seasons hotel will mean certain things compared to staying in a 
um, you know, a more of a budget or economy yeah. hotel. And also we saw that a little bit with student accommodation as well, which I always think of as being um, sort of almost like a glimpse into the future of, yeah. of branded, purpose-built, professionally managed accommodation. So I think those two things which link together have been one of the the biggest shifts. Absolutely. And when you say branded residences, you know, it's, it's quite easy for people to just kind of assume it might just be a name or a logo. But as you say, you know, it's, it's a promise, isn't it? Every brand has a promise of their brand standards and what you can expect to either be an investor investing in that brand, or in this case, a resident living in that brand building. So what does that look like, a branded residence? What value does that bring to the resident and then in turn the investor? It's a really good question. I've thought a lot about that. And um, it's quite an unusual concept to get your head around, isn't it? Maybe five or 10 years ago, people would have found it difficult to think about accommodation as something that you could brand in that way. But when you think about what actually is a brand, it's what what makes a brand stand out is certain attributes or a personality that 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 convey a certain association with it. And um, there's no reason why that can't apply to your accommodation in the same way that it applies to the clothes that you wear or the car that you choose or lots of other things that we we've got accustomed to to being branded. And um, I was having this conversation with Beth actually in the, earlier in the week, our colleague Beth, who who said for her age group now, you know, quite often when when people ask you where you live, they don't tell you the street or the name, they tell you the name of the building. They say, oh, I live in an affinity living building. Because people choose to to buy brands and associate them with themselves with brands because not only because of the, the quality of the product and the service, which is an important part of it, but also because that choice says something about you and it's interesting that that's starting to happen in accommodation as well. You know, that people will describe where they live by naming the building or the operator of the building in a way that it communicates something about their lifestyle choices, yeah. their preferences. Um, and essentially, I, th- I think that's what elevates accommodation into the status of something that you can attach a brand to Um and it's really interesting then how how that starts to to play out. And in answer to your question about what that means for investors, um, I think from an investor's point of view, if you see the the property that you're you're buying into or development that you're buying into as buying into the power of that brand that's attached to it, I think. Brands deal in the the currency of dependability, don't they? So, um, for exactly the same reason that that uh, people will spend more for a, for you know a pair of trainers because they identify with the brand. I think people are similarly starting to spend more for the gym that they will use because they identify with something about the way that that gym is operated. They identify with the community of other people that use it. It brings something to their life and their lifestyle that another one that that might be more affordable uh, doesn't. So from an investor's point of view, I think it, in a way it makes it harder to compare different investment opportunities purely in terms of um, 
price per square meter or some of the more conventional ways that you would have looked at them. But I think when you're making that decision about where to place your investment, you've got to think about what's going to drive the longevity of my returns. And yeah. I think uh, that that dependability point is is about making sure that um, the property that you're buying into has an association with it that will be carried forward into the future. That will ensure that people will want to live there, people will pay a premium to live there, uh, because that's what's going to underpin the investment returns. And I think interestingly what that then also brings us back to is people talk a little bit about um, sort of residual value, which is quite a, a sort of intangible concept. But if you think about why people buy certain makes of car, there's a perception that if you buy something that has the attributes of the, the maker's brand attached to it, then in particular when you're spending a lot of money on something that you're not going to keep for the whole of your life, then that will have a, a residual value that's higher than another yeah. make or model that, that that maybe doesn't have those attributes attached to it. So I think there is an element with branded accommodation from an investor's perspective of being able to think about what will what will make the resale value of this yeah. uh, stronger if I want to to move the investment on, um, and that links back, of course, to to all of those things that we said, which which are why a, a resident will want to live in that building in the first place. So we're starting to see the ways here that yeah. what drives the resident market in terms of why brands matter and and the currency that brands deal in with what what is linked to an investor's motivation for for choosing where to invest. Absolutely. And I think for the investor, investing in kind of branded residential property with uh, credible developers, they also have an understanding of what service they can expect as well, don't they? So that sort of end-to-end -end service that credible, credible developers should offer, I think that's a huge kind of um, peace of mind factor for them as well, isn't it? The service aspect. Yeah, and again, this is something we t we talk about a lot, and and I think the reason that we we promote investment in buildings that we have designed ourselves for the purpose of selling and then subsequently managing is because we we have a control over the product that you don't have if those three things haven't been conceived and put together in that way. Okay, so post-pandemic then, it's been so widely reported that we've really seen a shift in buyer and renter behaviour. You know, ever since we were forced to kind of live in our homes for such a long period of time, those homes became our offices, our gyms, our social spaces. And I think there is definitely a kind of widely reported long-term result of that, that people do have shifted priorities, people do have more expectations of their homes. And I think while many developers and investors have absolutely kind of cottoned onto that fact and are, you know, investing in developments with all sorts of amenity space, gyms, swimming pools, you know, that co-working space, what can investors and indeed developers do now to stand out in that quite saturated market? Yeah, so you're right. I think, I think everybody's realised that we all spend a lot more time at home uh, than we than we realised. And I think in a city centre context, what's happened is the boundaries between our, our home life, our working life, our social life um, have all started to blur a little bit. So, you know, we're seeing buildings now designed to 
um, to sort of weave those kinds of spaces together. Um, and that's led to a change in design philosophy for, for sure. So, you know, the reason that we and others now design a lot of working lounge space and meeting space, socialising space um, and fitness and wellness space in, into buildings is, is to, to play into that need. Um, so, so that has definitely happened. I think that also has promoted that change in behavior and, and uh, thought from, from residents and, and uh, renters in terms of, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in this place. It's a, a huge part of my disposable income. So they're being much more careful about the choices that they make. Yeah. You know, we know that location is really important, but also they are willing to pay for spaces and environments that that absolutely give them the maximum in terms of of how you weave all of those different elements of their life together and again i refer back to my previous point about student accommodation i think one of the reasons you know we sold a lot of purpose-built student accommodation at select property and i think um what student accommodation has sort of transfused now into into the general residential market is this understanding that you know students actually spend a relatively small amount of time at university they spend most of their time uh, at home studying alone and with others socializing meeting people um, gaming you know doing all kinds of stuff that all takes place within the building that we call their accommodation and you know you might think well the accommodation is the place that you sleep for eight hours of the 24 in a day and you know you might spend a couple of other uh, hours there as well but actually uh, they spend a lot of time there and as a provider and operator you have to understand that and make sure that you're providing um, amenity and service that that meets all of those needs and when you do that well then you can charge a premium for it and you can create that pent-up demand for your product. So I don't think that, that changing people's working patterns and, and lifestyles brought about in the last three years in particular has radically changed that. I think it's probably brought it to light a lot more and it's probably accelerated it Absolutely. in a way that's been very noticeable. Absolutely. And I think while so many developers are now sort of creating all of these amenity spaces and outdoor spaces, etc., and really playing into that need of the resident, how do they bring these spaces to life? Because we've seen lots of different examples in the market where they have these incredible amenities, but somehow are quite soulless um, and often quite empty and these spaces aren't being used. How do we really bring these spaces to life and give them meaning and value to ensure that the residents are using them? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? And, and I think what you're getting at is is that it's um, it doesn't happen by itself. I, th I think... Um, the thing about a lot of people talk about communities, communities within buildings and communities around buildings. Um, but I think it takes actually quite a lot of hard work to make that happen authentically. And I think yeah. you can tell, I think when you go in a building where there is a community of residents that, that feels very naturally brought together and, and that it's happening for real, then that's palpable. Like I was at Affinity Living Riverside this morning and Riverview next door. And when you walk through those buildings, you know, you just sense that it's happening for real. Um, whereas some buildings that you go in, they, they might have all of the same amenity space and, you know, they might look very similar, but somehow it's not really happening. So I think that's got partly to do with location, 
Mm. Um, and obviously we always choose the locations where we think that community can be activated um, more easily. I think it's the stuff that we were talking about in terms of the brand, you know, so what are the attributes of living in a, what does it mean to live in a, an affinity living building that, that means that that comes to life in that way? And then I think it's about graft. I think you've just got to work really hard at it. And, um, you know, I think it takes a lot of effort and work. And um, I think the mistake perhaps that some developments and developers make is thinking that that, that happens naturally, you know, create the space and it will just... Yeah. magically appear but but I, don't, I think it doesn't I think you've got to work hard to make it happen and I think it's got to be authentic because people will see see through it if it's not authentic mm. and again you know these things start to then become self-fulfilling so coming back to that point about when people identify with living oh, I live at affinity living not I live at 32 key street I think what they're saying is I am part of this community that 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 means something to me and means something to other people now because there's a an association with it and a recognition that 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 happens in that space. Um and um yeah I think I think that's very powerful when you when you can get it right and it, and again one of the reasons that we that we only sell uh, buildings uh, for affinity living certainly that we have designed to be managed in that way is because we secure the way that we're able to do that in lots of very minute details that at face value might seem very simple but actually have taken lots and lots of thought processes to to bring together and um, it certainly doesn't happen by itself and you can't fake it I think and yeah. I think um I, I was really interested by by the comment you told me about how um, uh, investment uh, or certain cities are that, that that show the best investment credentials are the ones that are able to to capture a sense of what it's like to be in a village. Yeah, so, JLL reported cities with a village feel is where we're seeing the most demand. So, you know, Manchester, Birmingham that have these kind of pockets like the Northern Quarter, Spinning Fields. Um, and I think, again, that's something that's been accelerated post-pandemic as well. I think people felt the need for connectivity. And of course, that's what a city's all about, isn't it? That kind of, we saw that pent-up demand for city living and people being together. And as you touched on, those kind of thriving communities. And I think in these build-to-rent developments, it's about kind of placemaking, isn't it? And the choosing the right eatery and the right eatery brand that's going to really go hand in hand and be reflective and representative of the community surrounding as well, not just for the residents that live in the building, but really kind of integrating them into the city. I think that's right. It's really interesting how that happens, isn't it? And it, you know, it doesn't surprise me, um, but it really st stood out as a statistic. And uh, again, you know, I think what that says is something about um, the authenticity of of how that community comes together. Um, but also that there is a sort of a there's a scale at which it works, which isn't sort of infinitely something that you can grow or, or exceed its natural scale. So I think cities that that are do have um, identifiable neighbourhoods mm. and, and, a, and a cultural imprint in, in those neighbourhoods that you can draw from in terms of how you design your building, but also how you sort of capture what's already there in that neighbourhood as part of what you're doing. Again, it comes back to how you design your uh, your operating model to fit into what's, what's already there. Um, so I think it's really important that you do that. And... Um, 
yeah, we, we see in, in the neighbourhoods around our building and by working with independent operators that, that we bring into our buildings to activate some of those spaces, um, that, that that community works at a scale where it does feel personal and real or, and authentic um, and uh, that, that that works better in certain contexts than, than, than it does in others. So I think, yeah, we... we Manchester is a, a gift of a city to work with there because um, we feel the, the, the strength of that community very strongly, don't we, when you walk around the different parts of town. And interestingly, like when you walk around parts of London, you feel it as well. But also it's such a big city and it's such an international city and the population feels much more transient that uh, I think it's harder to recreate that village feel, maybe in certain very sort of micro locations. I mean, these things take a lot of time and effort to really understand and tap into that, don't they? Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but they are very much designed into the, to the fabric of, of the building. And again, it, it comes back to the, the, the question about, you know, what are you actually buying as an investor? And I don't think that, that, that you're buying... Uh, the 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 lump of concrete and the glass that's fixed to it. I think you're buying something that is within the fabric of the building, but it's to do with how it's been designed to fit in with that local context, to activate that authentic community within it, to create that brand that feels uh, real to people, that they can associate and identify with, that they can choose to spend their money on in a way that will drive the demand and the rent for the long term. Absolutely. I think historically, um, some investors might sort of be a lot more focused on that return and not sort of care as much or not find out or research as much about the communities and the brands and the lifestyle that these developments are offering. But actually, the two go hand in hand, don't they? You know, these communities that we're activating are what's driving the strongest and most consistent returns. I know there's that stat as well about if somebody knows... Um, somebody else in the building, I think they're over 70% more likely to stay and to renew their contract. And that figure then goes up if they know more than one person. So I think it's it's now really on the radar of investors to invest in a community and in a lifestyle that is taken on a life of its own after the development completes. I think that's why we spend so much time and take responsibility for trying to educate our investors on on exactly those sorts of things so that they understand and and get that and and you know when we're able to bring them into buildings so that we can show them it in real life then you know they get it i've been at those events and you almost see the 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 uh the penny drop you know it's like oh i get it now yeah and however much you're able to to try and convince people on on paper um you know, I think it's only when you see it happen for real. And, and like I said, you know, I was in one of those buildings this morning and I, I just had a very strong sense of it mm -hmm. in, in my sort of peripheral vision that, that this was a community of people that sort of are know each other and are comfortable with each other. They like the space. They're, 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 the space of their home is flowing out of their apartment into the rest of the building in a way that feels very natural. And uh, that only happens because we've designed it that way and we've yeah. promoted it that way. And that's when you start to, to leverage the, the power and the status uh, of that brand. And I think that also feeds into why it's so valuable investing in a brand, because, of course, with us selling off-plan property, as most build-to-rent developers do, 
I think it can be really difficult to kind of bring that vision to life for yourself when you've, you've just got the sort of floor plans and the CGI's and it looks great and shiny. But until you go into a completed branded residential development, that's when, like you say, you can really sort of feel it come to life and understand what it is that you're investing in. Um, but I want to move on to talk about a big buzzword at the moment, and that's sustainability. So it means something different to everyone, really. But to you, what does a sustainable investment look like? Well, I think you're right. I think it means lots of different things. Um, and if we put aside some of the more obvious associations with sustainability, which are that, of course, your buildings need to be high performing, they need to be energy efficient, um, they need to uh, have all of the highest standards in terms of thermal values that, that retain heat, that mean that that um, you keep your energy consumption down. They need to be designed to uh, to be able to manage and process waste efficiently so that we're, we're reducing uh, the use of natural resources and the harm on the environment when you build in, in city centres, which are, of course, always constrained in that way. So all of that is is not taken for granted but but is essential but but is almost a given and and because we're designing new buildings the regulations that that come with that now almost forces down a path to ensure that, that that's the case um for me sustainability means more than that sustainability is is the way that you signal that you're going to be dependable for the for the long haul um and i think of sustainability from an investor's point of view, almost as 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 another word for resilience and longevity, and it comes back to that that brand point. Um, you know, if you're investing in something where you've got a five, ten, fifteen year time horizon, you want you want to know that your investment is going to be protected for, for the, at least the whole of that period, and also that that building is going to be uh, have a residual value well beyond that period so that that when you're looking to exit that investment um then it has an appeal that that will attract a good value for the the person that's going to buy it from you so so i think of sustainability in terms of long-term decision making and yes that's partly about how buildings are designed um you certainly don't want buildings to be designed where they're going to have to be uh, constantly redesigned or refitted uh these things are expensive and they they erode investment returns. Um, but for me, the way that you ensure sustainability is about really understanding the needs of the people that are going to live in them and designing the buildings in the first place around those needs. And again, I think it has less to do with the raw materials. It's not so much about, uh, it's very much about location because location tends to prevail. You know, we, we make decisions about where to, to, to build the buildings that we want to operate based on what we believe to be long-term sustainable demand. Um, but I think it's more about designing buildings that have an understanding of and flexibility to evolve with those changing demands of the people that are going to live there. And in that sense, I think, again, people need to think about what they're actually spending their money on. Are they spending their money on the raw materials of which the building is made or are they spending their money on the expertise of the people that have designed them and that will operate them on their behalf to have really understood and thought through in minute detail what's going to make these buildings still be high performing 
in-demand buildings in another 10 years' time. And if I was an investor, that would be one of the questions I would ask myself and, and ask of the person that I was thinking of buying a property from is how are you going to secure that demand for the long term? Mm. And that, for me, I think is as much what sustainability is about as all the other things that we immediately think of when we talk about sustainability. But we mustn't forget as well that sustainability is an important topic for residents as well. I was well. just going to say that, yeah, increasingly so as well. I think that's right. Uh, and again, you know, that that that's that's partly to do with the the um, how people are starting to think of their accommodation provider as, as a branded operator now. You know, young consumers in particular want to... Uh, spend their money on brands that they feel are aligned with their own values. They want yeah. to know that their buildings are being operated sustainably. They want to know that they've been designed uh, with sustainability credentials uh, for the long term built into them. So that's essential. Um, and of course, they will uh, reject brands that they feel are unsustainable or, or unethical in that way. So as a designer and developer of buildings, we have to make sure that we are um, doing all of the things that, that 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 demonstrate that we are making those decisions for the long term, and that and that creates the appeal for the people that are going to live in them, um, but also it underpins the investment returns for the people that are going to buy them. Absolutely, and I think especially millennials, they're a lot more environmentally conscious than previous generations, and this is only going to increase as the next generation continue to emerge in the rental space. Um, but I think we've seen especially recently, given the energy crisis and rising energy costs, we're actually seeing that residents are going for more expensive prime city centre stock because they tend to have better EPC ratings. And they're seeing that despite paying a higher premium for rent and all these amenities and a better lifestyle, their monthly outgoings are actually less because they provide better energy efficiency. So I think for the first time now, we're really seeing that kind of come into fruition. Yeah, and, and that comes across actually in the feedback that, that you get from residents. I was reading one of the, the feedback surveys for from Affinity Living Buildings and, you know, those comments stand out. You know, people say, oh, you know, my, my apartment's really cosy. I can't, I can't hear the street noise outside. I hardly ever have to put the heating on. So you can tell that they're thinking about these things. Yeah. And the other thing about that, that younger generation uh, in particular as well is, you know, like they want everything to be low friction. Yeah, it has to be easy for them. They don't want complication. And, you know, yes, you can change your energy provider, you can shop around and all this kind of stuff. But actually what they want is they want a lot of that work to have been done for them by the developer and operator of the building. And again, that's that's when, you know, having a building that's operated by the people that have designed and developed it really comes into play because you can develop a whole long range strategy for how you're going to do that. You know, you're designing buildings that, that are going to be energy efficient from the off. You've got an operating strategy where, you know, you're going to operate them sustainably. You're going to encourage behaviours that, that keep consumption low. You can sign up to, to uh, procurement of energy in a way that, that, that secures certainty around pricing, in a way that you can package all of that up to the residents in a, in a really easy to understand and easy to consume way that, that doesn't give them a load of the hassle that comes with having to sort that out for your own home if you're yeah. not in one of those um, branded residences. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be a really key feature of the evolution of 
branded living in city centres is is you know how you how you leverage your expertise and your scale as a developer and operator to to take some of that uncertainty and some of that hassle away from from your residents because they will really value that because they they you know they will pay a premium to to be in a building that that absolutely synchronizes with their their lifestyle needs in that way but they they want it to be low friction they want all the work the work done for them so so yeah that's something that's challenging us a little bit at the moment but we're finding ways that we can evolve how we do that to 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 meet that that expectation and I think that's also a massive benefit for the investor who might want that sort of hands-off, hassle-free investment to have trust in that developer that they've sort of got all of that due diligence done and they're sort of carrying things out in the best way. Um, but just to wrap up then, final question. It's been a great, hopefully really valuable conversation for so many investors. But for someone who's considering their next property investment, what are your top tips or the most important factors that you would say to consider? Yeah, so so picking out on the themes that we've we've talked about, I think if I was an investor, I would be I would be asking, has this has this development been designed with a with an operating philosophy or strategy in mind? Uh, show me show me how the 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 brand that is attached to this building is going to activate the community of people that are in it. Is going to create that long term demand that that is going to underpin my returns. What is it about this building that will make people pay a premium to to live in there and want to stay uh, for the long term? And again, it's all those things that that, that signal long term decision making and dependability. And I would say, look, show me a building that you built ten years ago, and show me how the decisions that you made then have translated now to to long term, high demand, high occupancy. Walk around those buildings if you have an opportunity to do that so that you can see that it's for real. You can see all the hard work that's gone into that. Um, and when you sense that, that, that there is genuinely a, 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 a brand philosophy at the heart of the, the operation of the building, then you can start to understand how, um, how that, that sustainability is, is something that is going to underpin long-term returns so that when you're still getting that income in in another 10 years time you know that that the kind of people that are living in the building then um uh, the building has evolved to 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 provide for all of the things that are going to ensure that they want to stay there as well that was amazing perfect thank you so much giles for joining me it's been great to chat with you as always no problem and to everybody watching thank you so much for tuning in you can subscribe on your platform of choice we're on youtube spotify google podcasts and apple podcasts